0: I, my my poor staff heard me say all the time, and I still say it to people often. If not this, then what? Right? We have this challenge, so it's fine if you don't want to use Leader in Me, or it's fine if you don't want to use PBIS. But if not that, then what?
1: Welcome to Education RX. The education system in the U.S. is sick, and we all need to find ways to heal it.
2: I'm Holly Bronson. I'm Shannon Donaway. Together, we have almost 50 years of experience working as professionals in a school setting.
1: We may not have all the answers, but we're looking for people who have a piece of the solution puzzle. This is EducationRx. All right, guys, welcome back. We are so happy that you're here, episode three. Cruising right along. Um, this week we're gonna do something a little different. Our format's a little different. We didn't get to do our interviews together this week. We did a little divide and conquer. And uh, Shannon, you start out with a very cool interview with the Dean of Student Dean of Enrollment. Mm-hmm. Dean of Enrollment at Animus High School.
2: Yeah, so I got to spend a little time with Libby Coles, who is, like you said, the Dean of Enrollment and Community Outreach. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, it was a great interview, and I got to learn a little bit more about the model that Animus High School has. It's a project-based school, and they really struggled during COVID, but they found some unique ways to deal with things, and they're really happy now that they're kind of back together and back doing all of their projects.
1: And then I got to interview Kathy House, and she is awesome. I actually went to high school with Kathy. <laughs> we, we go way back, but she has become a principal that went into other schools that were struggling and helped to turn them around, and a huge piece of that was social-emotional learning and behavioral supports, and she's experienced a lot of different programs, and she's going to share with us, now that she's in a higher-level administration role, her experience with different programs for SEL learning and behavior support and which ones she really found successful and why they were successful. So we're going to find out a whole bunch of information about ways that schools are implementing awesome social emotional learning and the core pieces to that that make it really work. Let's start with your interview and
2: then we'll get to mine. Libby, tell us a little bit about yourself and the school that you work at and kind of the philosophy behind the school.
3: Thank you, great. Uh, So my name is Libby Coles, and I am um, in my 10th year at Animus High School. Animus High School is a public charter school, free, open to all, and we serve students in ninth through 12th grade. Um, Our model is that we use project-based learning to um, prepare students to be active, engaged citizens and to prepare them for college and career and post-secondary success. Uh, And we're a pretty small school. We have about 200 students and uh, about 25 staff. And
2: my two kids have gone through Animus, Mm -hmm. so that's kind of cool.
3: Well, can, can I ask you to say why I think that it's great that your kids have gone through Animus High School? Oh,
2: yeah. Or are going since Lucy's a senior. Uh, Lucy is a senior this year. So I really appreciate that Animus prepares their students for the world outside mm-hmm. and that you're not um, just pushing core classes that are, you know, the kids are memorizing things and taking tests and you're not pushing the whole AP kind of philosophy and like, just, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but I just really appreciate the project-based learning and the overall like life education. That's great. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So how has COVID changed the way Animus has done things? And have any of the changes kind of stuck? Anything good come out
3: of it? Yeah. So, you know, I was thinking about this a little bit before we met, because I think most educators right now, we just want to forget that COVID happened. It was pretty disruptive. Sure. (laughs) And I would say... The the way we were impacted by it while the pandemic was going on was really mostly negative, right? I mean, it's, you know, as a project-based learning school, it was pretty disruptive to the way we do things. We're so rooted in relationship here and so rooted in hands-on learning and then exhibitions of learning where you're sharing what you have learned with a, a real audience. And like those things just couldn't happen in the same way, right? When I try to think about the positive things that have come out of it, it's, you know, maybe a reprioritization. Like, I think that's a cultural reality, right? Like that COVID made us sort of stop and take stock and, you know, think about what's most important to us as human beings. And I do think that it raised a lot of awareness around adolescent mental health and well-being because I think there was a really big impact on teenagers being isolated and missing out on socializing and... Missing out on so much development. <laughs> right. So I think, you know, the silver lining there is that we are as a culture kind of paying more attention to adolescent mental health and well being. I'd like to believe that.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And it kind of, I don't know, society I feel like it was kind of trending that way. Our kids were kind of isolated already. You know, mm-hmm. not to the extreme extent, but with all the video games and I I can't tell you how many people whose kids I know, like they spend their weekends in in the basement playing games all by themselves. Mm -hmm. And so even though that was already happening, I feel like COVID kind of brought up the topic a little more because it made it for every student. Right. It wasn't just the kids who are super gamers or not interested in school dances and Uh things like that. So every
3: kid was feeling left out. And so
2: everybody was more aware of it.
3: Right. Well, and that, you know, what you're bringing up makes me also think about the conversations around technology and social media, right? I mean, because so many schools, so many kids all over the country went to hybrid learning and we're spending a lot of time on a screen, I think it's raised cultural conversations around the, the negative impacts of all that screen time, right? It's, it's interesting. We're, we're based on a school called High Tech High. And so, you know, we, we are laptop based rather than textbooks for a lot of our learning, but I think the the staff, the teachers are were just hungering for like interpersonal face-to-face experiential learning during COVID. And so now that we're cleared to do that again, it's like, you know, that there was a group of ninth graders out in the woods yesterday studying the burn scar from the fire and, you know, connecting that to their biology work. And there was a group of sophomores that were up in Twin Buttes, you know, l- launching their first rocket in their physics class. So, just to be able to do stuff like that again, that's rooted in experience and being together in places out- other than classrooms and not behind screens. That's so much of what I think is more valuable in education than being on a screen, right? Yes, 100%. I agree with that. Were, did
2: you guys find that Animus was able to do anything? that other larger schools or districts weren't able to do because of your size or your model Mm -hmm. or like you guys go out into the woods and do things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean that, I don't know if you were able to do much of that during COVID. I would love you to talk about um, the graduation for 2020. yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So Simon was a senior in 2020 and just, you know, when I think about the onset of the pandemic in my brain, it's connected to Osprey week, right? So my Oh yeah. My youngest was in ninth grade. Cause I, I also have two kids who have gone through enemas and he was out skiing. He was out in the, in the back country for Osprey week. And then I had to go pick him up and let him know that, you know, we were not going back to school. Like the world had shut down. Right. So I don't, know. that's not answering your question directly, but it just reminded me of that when you say 2020, Mm. right? Like that's what I think of. Yeah. The graduation. So we usually have done our graduation in the community concert hall at Fort Lewis college. And, you know, that was clearly not going to happen for 2020. And so I do love that our families got together and had conversations via Zoom, <laughs> right? You remember you were in on those. Yep. Just sort of imagining what we could create that would be safe and socially distanced, but still really special. You know, because our graduating classes are small, we celebrate each student individually. And it was really important that we came up with a ceremony that mattered for them. So we had a big drive in mm-hmm. graduation ceremony at the ranch of uh, one of the families who had twins graduating in that class. And it was very special. Yeah. <laughs> so special that the the next year's class also, you know, wanted to do something mm-hmm. similar. Um, and then we went back to the concert hall last year and I was nervous that it was going to, you know, feel like it was less special uh-huh. than the COVID graduations, but it was, it was pretty lovely to be back in there too. Yeah.
2: <laughs> nice. Well, anything else that you did during COVID? I can't remember any specifics for Simon, yeah. for me, our family personally, yeah.
3: but um. I mean, I would just say, you know, because we're a small school and because we know our students and our families really well, it did help us weather it a little bit better. You know, in the beginning, so much of it was just making sure that students had food and internet connection mm-hmm. and that they were okay. And that, you know, they weren't experiencing tragedy in their families that people weren't dying. I mean that, you know, that very first quarter in 2020, that was really where our focus was. And, and because we're small charter school, we can be really um, flexible and make decisions for ourselves quickly. So we, we made a choice to have everyone go to pass fail for that semester that COVID first hit. And I'm not sure, you you know, that would be more challenging in a school district Mm -hmm. to make choices like that.
2: All right. So another big focus or question we've been, talking with other people about is social, emotional Mm well-being. So tell us a little bit about how your school did, how you felt like overall students were doing, but also how you guys sort of address the needs of your teachers Mm -hmm. and your students.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And still maybe are. Right. Oh, absolutely still are. I mean, it's, I think we are, we're, we're absolutely still seeing the after effects of COVID on mental health among not just the students, but the, the staff too. So, you know, during, during the height of the pandemic, how did we address mental health? We continued to have advisory meetings as much as it was possible. Online advisory meetings were not as successful as in-person <laughs> advisory meetings. We, gosh, that's a bit of a blur how we addressed it during COVID. I mean, I, you know, honestly, (laughs) I think we were so in survival mode as a school. I think that's not a unique experience. You know, it was every day. was just about like tracking the COVID cases and sending the information about, you know, exposures and, Oh, I mean, it it was exhausting. It was exhausting. And then from teacher perspective, you know, to constantly be re, Creating your curriculum because we, so because we're project-based learning model, one of our values is teacher, as designer. They create their own curriculum, you know, so it's not like you can just hit pause on chapter 28 or, you know, send the workshop worksheet work electronically, right? So mm-hmm. to adapt their curriculum constantly between when we were in-person or hybrid or totally online that was really hard on teachers. It was yeah. exhausting. And, you know, there were, there were pieces of it that I think teachers appreciated having a little bit more flexibility in their day, being able to go for a hike in the middle of the day, which is something I did with some of my colleagues during COVID for sure. sure that helps their mm-hmm. ability to right. continue. Right. Yeah. As far as now, you know, coming back post post Post-pandemic, we hope. We've got, we're working with um, the Charter School Institute, which is our authorizer. There's a, they have instituted a a project to support schools and looking at staff well-being. And so we have two of our staff members who regularly are engaging in a cohort that's that's looking at best practices across schools and trying to figure out how to bring those back to, to our school. I mean, boy, when you think about the impact of COVID on teachers in general, and the dialogue in our country about—it's <laughs> a hard time to be a teacher, right? You know, I think in the beginning of of the pandemic, everyone was really appreciative of teachers, like, "Oh my gosh, this is what you do. I'm so grateful for you." And then something turned, right? What happened? Right? I mean, it's it, then it became like teacher, like parents became really concerned about what teachers were teaching. And became not all parents by any means, but you know, that's the dialogue in our country, right? Like what's, what is appropriate for you to be teaching my kid in in your class? And Mm -hmm. it's good for parents to be engaged in their kids education for sure. I don't want to give the impression that that's inappropriate, but it certainly turned into something pretty negative Mm -hmm. and restrictive in a lot of places in our country. I don't feel like we've experienced that. I'm really grateful to our families that we haven't experienced that. But, you know, when I think about things that are really hard on teachers right now that are connected to the pandemic, I think that's one of the things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's that all of a sudden there is this heightened critique of what's happening in classrooms and the kind of disrespect for the professionalism of educators. You know, teachers know what they're doing. They put in years of, of training to, to figure out how to do it well. And paired with funding, right? Pandemic funding became available for schools for things like air filters and, you know, hand sanitizer, but it didn't go to teacher salaries, mm-hmm. right? And it's not great that we're, I think, 49th in the country as a state in terms of paying teachers. So when you talk about well-being of of teachers in, mm-hmm. in this context, you know, I, I think we have a lot of work to do as a culture in valuing educators.
2: I know that Animus, that your teachers kind of come back a little earlier than some other schools Mm -hmm. and you guys do a lot of sort of team building kind of stuff and that. So tell us about what that looks like and why you guys Mm -hmm. engage in that. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so
3: we always have staff orientation for two weeks before students show up and we are really intentional, like you said, about team building and relationship building. And that's, that's among staff and it's also between staff and students. So we also start the school year with a student orientation that includes things like going to a ropes course or, you know, rafting the Animus River, um, spending time together, not centered around academics, but centered around relationship building. I think that's critical to who we are. You know, one of one of the things that throws people off when they first show up at Animus is that all the adults in the building go by our first names you're probably used to it now, and so it doesn't seem weird, but when we, you know, welcome new students and families onto campus and, you know, our head of school is Rebecca instead of Ms. Roland, that that feels funny to people. But it's about, it's, it's symbolic, right? It's about um, seeing each other as, as human beings and building relationships that are authentic. And we believe really strongly that an authentic relationship where you're seeing a student as a whole person is a foundational piece of learning. Right. If you're safe and you're known and you're um, cared for, then you're supported much better for being able to, to learn. This year for orientation for staff, we also really focused back on project based learning. So we had high tech, high trainers come for three days. That's our, our school that you know inspired the founders 13 years ago to create our, our model and um, we had really talented professional development staff from High Tech High Graduate School of Education come and work with our teachers and just kind of root us back in our model because it was disruptive, again, to have COVID kind of throw that off. you know. And so we were recommitting to that this year in a way that I hope is going to result in really impressive projects and great exhibitions of learning and great learning. The
2: last thing that I kind of wanted to talk about was the new school. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about what the priorities were when designing and making those decisions about it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, how the staff had input and the students had input. And then um, if social, emotional well-being
3: kind Mm -hmm. of played into the the design or the
2: thought process that went
3: into the building. Yeah. We're incredibly excited to be moving to a gorgeous, new, state-of-the-art, solar-powered building on the campus at Fort Lewis College. I'm kind of pinching myself that it's actually happening. You know that we started at the Strip Mall on North (laughs) Main in in a space that's now the Yellow Carrot Restaurant, and we've been in these trailers for, uh, this is our 10th year, so we are really ready for a permanent facility that's going to match our program and, and take it to the next level. The design process was really cool. So we, we the re, one of the major reasons this was possible is because we applied for three times and finally got the best grant from the Colorado Department of Education. The process of applying for that grant led us to design work that was collaborative and included student voice and staff voice right from the beginning. So we, you know, used sort of design thinking principles to survey our users, as you say, in design thinking, you know, to talk to students about what was it that was going to uh, create a space that would be inspiring for, for learning, to talk to teachers about what were, you know, if they could imagine the perfect classroom environment, what would it include? A huge one for us is natural light and beautiful views. That is one of the hardest things about the the buildings we're sitting in right now um, is the lack of windows. <laughs> that new building is just, you've been inside it, yeah? Have you been inside? Not inside. Not, inside okay, outside. you've seen the outside. Mm-hmm. So every classroom, every space just has beautiful, giant windows with gorgeous views of the mountains and and then also, you know, philosophically, like views of Fort Lewis College, right? So looking across to the college, so as a college prep school, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of inspiration of, or aspiration of, like that's, there's where you're headed, mm-hmm. right? There there also are spaces that are really designed for project-based learning. So, you know, a classroom with a wall, two classrooms next to each other with a wall that can be retracted to create a giant space for exhibition of learning or for collaboration, Two maker spaces for building and, you know, with a giant garage door that goes to the outside space so you can wheel your catapults in and out. <laughs> a digital art classroom that's completely wired with, you know, state of the art technology and audio lab that has little recording booths off of the main classroom so that students can record podcasts, you know, for any class that wants to do that as part of their project so when when you talk about well-being, I mean, I think having a space that is beautiful, that's really functional, that has natural light, that is aesthetically pleasing, it has a beautiful gathering place, the Commons, which is two-story, two-story height ceiling. So big open spaces, I think are inspiring for big open ideas. Awesome. I know it's really exciting. And, and-
2: what is the current move in date on that?
3: Yeah, they are on track to complete before the end of this semester. And so we were just talking yesterday about nailing down our move in date, hopefully, is December 16th, right at the end of this semester, and then starting second semester in the new space. It's so exciting. <laughs> it is. It's been a long like, it's been a long time especially coming. Especially for you, yeah, parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and our youngest, you know, our youngest kids. Just get to catch it, right? You know, as seniors,
2: <laughs> and get the last what, yep. five months. Yep. Is there anything else you'd like
3: to share? I really appreciate you spreading awareness around well-being and mental health, and paying attention to the importance of that in schools. I'm really heartened by. The dialogue that I think is happening in a lot of places around that, and hopefully that's the best silver lining to come out of COVID, yeah. is an increased awareness. You know, I think it's a hard time to be a teenager, right? There, mm. are, there are a lot of very real challenges for young adults in the world right now, and I absolutely believe that schools and families need to work together to continue the dialogue and to support students, and um, that it's part of is part of learning. It's part of becoming an adult and part of our responsibility. Thank
1: you. That was perfect. Thank you so much. Oh, it sounded like you had fun doing that interview and that they had really good strategies in
2: place. Yeah, it was kind of a fun interview. I've known Libby for a little while because now, as the listeners know, my children go to Animus High School. And they've had a great experience. They have. (laughs) Yeah. And they've really benefited, benefited from those relationships they built. And now my son who's out, you know, he looked for a college that had that same atmosphere where he could build relationships with professors.
1: Oh, we know that relationships are so important for education. I think that's one of those cornerstones that you have to start with. Because if students don't feel close to or have a good relationship with teachers, it's hard for us to really dig in there and help them find that intrinsic motivation for success, for working hard, and just overall engaging in education. And that is such a wonderful segue into the interview I got to do with Kathy House. Um, She is going to take us from the relationship piece into the next step of social emotional learning slash behavioral curriculums. And telling us about how she has explored a variety of those and some of the ones that she found very successful and part of why they were so successful was that intrinsic motivation. So let's listen in on that. All right, today I get to have a conversation with somebody who's not only an awesome educator and a really cool person, somebody I have a lot of history with, we go way back to high school for our cheering days. Um, (laughs) But when I moved back from Colorado to New Mexico, this person is in education and helped me land the job that I'm in right now. Um, And somebody I really respect because she cares not only about students, but really cares about educators and has done a lot in her career to support educators in doing what they do. So without further ado, this is Kathy House. And she's going to tell us who she is. Thank you, Holly.
0: What a joy to be able to be here with you this morning. And um, it is, I think, so special and unique that we do have such a great history and have known each other for quite a while. And here we are again reconnected. It's pretty, pretty special, I think. But yes, I'm Kathy, and I've been in education for about that long. And uh, so, a little bit about myself, you know, I kind of uh, never really thought about doing anything else but being an educator. And so all through school, that's what I knew I was going to do and went to a teacher's college in Colorado, Adams State, woo woo college at the time, now university. Uh, and uh, that's where I received my bachelor degree um, in psychology and elementary education and then went on to get my master's in special education some years later and followed that up with receiving my EDS, and educational leadership. So I've done my time in the classroom as a teacher for many years, dual certified teacher, taught both students that were general education students and those students that had disabilities as well, and kind of moved up the ranks in that order in terms of being a teacher. Then I was a special education instructional leader and helped to kind of drive programming at the school side and then moved into an assistant principalship and finally into a principalship position. And that's kind of me. Currently, I'm uh, the director of elementary learning in a local school district and really enjoying that part of the, the walk in my journey of education as well.
1: One of the things in our conversations that you've identified is that when you were a principal, you kind of got to the point that, they assigned you the schools that were really struggling so that you could turn them around. And this whole season is something we're talking about. How do we turn things around? So talk a little bit about that. You know, it, it was one of those surprising
0: skill sets that you don't necessarily know are in you and just by being placed in a situation where that was kind of your charge and mission, you figure things out in, in my experience It was not done solely with me, obviously, you know, I did that work in lock arms and step with teacher teams and my partner administrator and really everyone that was on my campus. It really was a kind of an all hands on deck situation, which I really appreciated very much because everyone kind of leaned into that. And um, it was really an exceptional experience for me but I also believe it provided the absolute best support for our families and our students and our teachers.
1: Well, I know you're not going to toot your own horn, but I know you've taken some schools that were really struggling with um, just the, the vibe in the school and the, the academic success of the school and students connecting with teachers was all kind of on the low end and people were losing heart. And you came in and really... By locking arms with people and coming alongside them and lifting them up, you really helped turn things around in those schools. And one of the conversations in this season, we're really covering how social emotional learning has become such a hot item that everybody's looking at and thinking about. And some of that was already happening, I believe it was escalating. And then COVID hit and really like. Put it in the microwave and heated it up. (laughs) Definitely. We're all talking social emotional learning. And you and I were having conversations about how that is so impactful academically. And we haven't, I think lay people don't realize that, but being in a classroom, I see why kids with relationship just connect to the teacher and the process more. And so we were talking about that and you've tried some different social emotional curriculum or behavior support, like positive behavior support curriculums. And that conversation was so interesting to me because you were talking about one school in particular that you got to, and it was really having a hard time. Everybody was feeling down and you saw some cool stuff happen. Yeah, it was, you know, it was a situation with a school that really had
0: historically been more on the affluent side demographically. Prior to my arrival at the school site, the demographics had changed considerably, and I think the teachers and really the staff in general didn't necessarily know how to respond to that. But then kind of coupled with that, as you alluded to a minute ago, you know, we, have, we had already started to see this uptick in really hard behaviors with kiddos at a very young age, really unexpected. And we needed to figure out how to mitigate that and how to provide solutions and opportunities for kiddos that perhaps maybe had not been there. And we needed to be innovative and out-of-the-box thinkers and determine really what the best way would be. And we had, in that district, utilized PBIS strategies across the district. And PBIS is? positive behavior and intervention supports for students awesome. right <laughs> and it really that that particular framework is kind of steeped in extrinsic incentivizing of uh, right. kiddos really demonstrating those expected behaviors the behaviors that we would expect to see in a learning environment
1: and when they do those behaviors there's a positive reward
0: Extrinsically. That's right. There is. You know, oftentimes it'll be a school wide ticket system where kids are given tickets or some sort of accolade for yeah. uh, demonstrating the expected behavior. You know, this staff, my leadership really is a shared leadership and it's very much a distributive leadership type approach to things. And this was no different. So, pulling my team together and really talking with them about what we were seeing, what were the challenges you know, how PBIS was helping or perhaps not helping during that time. So we did a little bit of looking around, wanted to find something that we felt that really shared the heart of the staff and what we wanted to see for the kids. And we found a framework that really was based in leadership opportunities for kiddos. So it was far more intrinsically rewarding to kiddos. And it was really about providing opportunities for all kids, right? That was the other piece of it. Oftentimes there's kids that never get acknowledged um, for, yeah, for, for being really, really having a respect for that ecosystem of learning. So we chose that tool to use with our kiddos and really found great innovative out-of-the-box ways for kiddos to have leadership opportunities, all kids. And what's it
1: called again? Leader and me?
0: Leader in me. Leader yeah, and me. it's leader in wow. me. And it and it's based on Franklin Covey's seven habits. Oh. But it's kid, it's really kid, right? So there is a book, there's, you know, those habits are really delivered in a way that are kind of animated and kids have a better picture of what it maybe means to have the end in mind before they're starting on a project and making sure that they're planning accordingly or, you know, listening first to understand, which is very helpful when there are interactions that are not necessarily great between kids right (laughs) yeah so that's that's what we kind of leaned into as the leader in me and we spent a lot of time we visited schools that were already utilizing that framework so we had an idea of what it really would look like for our kids and that was kind of the starting entry point for us
1: do you think as you're thinking back over your long career in education, do you feel like you've seen a shift in social, emotional and behavioral issues in students and how that's impacting academics? Yeah. And, and as you said, it had
0: started pre-pandemic. Post-pandemic, it, it really has gotten, it's a lot more heightened and it's a lot more pervasive. And what we're finding, especially with kiddos that are in their primary grades right now, They've not had that formal introduction into a school setting. There was either disruption or they've never been in a building. And many times it's been at those critical transition times. They're either coming into elementary school, they're entering middle school. There are some kids that completely missed middle school in a formal setting and are now in high school and the behaviors are very present and they're very, I think kiddos are really feeling dysregulated. Yes, and, you know, and I think we saw that before the pandemic because our kiddos were so device driven and there was not as much interaction and we don't think about explicitly teaching kids how to appropriately interact with each other. Uh,
1: um, that's so important.
0: Yes, very important. We want to grow them into productive adults that can have good conversations,
1: right? Well, and you think about if we're not teaching those skills and It's not that families can't teach those skills at home and many families do, but the kids that we're seeing struggle, their families, maybe, you know, they're with a single parent who has to work a lot, or maybe um, it's a young parent or a parent who just doesn't have the skills or knows how to teach those things. I don't think that it's malicious in any way. I think it's always um, just gaps, right? And if somebody's not teaching them those skills, And seeing how so many people over the pandemic and even just recently have moved to this shift of, I'm on social media and somebody doesn't agree with me, I'm going to unfriend them. I'm not going to talk to them. And we're not teaching the skill of being different and having different ideas and not letting that escalate us to a place of anger or violence. And honestly, you think about that in the long term, could you imagine if these kids don't have those skills and they're running the world? I mean, that's true. true.
0: It is scary. And, and the thing about it is really um, with our kiddos, it, and we have to come to this understanding in education that every single morning a parent is not sending their kiddo to school with the idea of, well, I really hope that they go and like test every boundary today and I look forward <laughs> to getting that phone call. And the same is true of kids. They don't come to school every morning with the forethought of, I'm going to be so disruptive today that, you know, I'm just going to cause my teacher to be very upset and angry. You know, we have to understand that that is not what they're coming to school with. And that our role is to be a partner to those parents and be uh, somebody who that child can look to. For that explicit learning and understanding about what it means to be able to behave and, and lean into their learning. And, you know, Leader in Me was a tool that we used to teach kiddos what it meant to have ownership of their learning, and intrinsically, why that's valuable to, him, to them, right? Why that has yeah. value to them as they're getting older. And it really is about life skills. It's not about you know, you're not going to be on the street and then crossing, you know, in the crosswalk and somebody's going to hand you a ticket and say, Good job, you did what was expected. <laughs> Yay. That doesn't happen, right? Right. But if we're teaching them life skills where they know and understand your decisions, your, you know, time management, your language and words, all of those have an impact, positive or negative. And they have to be taught those skills and reinforced without it being an extrinsic incentivization for them. And it doesn't mean that they don't get rewarded in leader in me. There are lots of celebrations with kids, you know, but they walk away from that with having some self-efficacy and agency in what they're doing.
1: Well, when you were telling me about this program, the thing that I loved about it and found highly desirable is that it is teaching kids to have that intrinsic desire that from inside of themselves, they want to make achievement because of the benefit to themselves. And it's not necessarily a token benefit. You do X, I'll give you Y. It's more, when you do X, you will create for yourself Y. And I think that is such a beautiful thing because as adults, that's what we have to do to motivate ourselves. Like you said, nobody's giving us a ticket. And the other thing that you talked about with this program that I thought was so cool was it wasn't just for the students. You start with your faculty and not just teachers. That's right. Wall to wall. We made sure that our you know,
0: folks that worked in the lunchroom that were interacting with kids on a daily basis, our secretarial and front office staff, our custodial staff, all of them had an opportunity to be a part of this high quality learning and how to not just engage with the kids, right? The first two days are all about me. I get to learn how to goal set. I get to learn and understand, you know, what the power is behind some of these life skill habits that we should be employing in our day-to-day work. And so we made sure wall-to-wall, everybody was able to engage in that learning. And to this day, I still get messages from my head custodian thanking me for him being able to be a part of that because he felt it really... Helped him to interact with the kids more appropriately, but more importantly for himself and his own work as a lead custodian, being able to goal set with his team, really develop those habits of, you know, looking at what the end goal is in mind and making sure that they're all working toward that end goal and the goal setting. I mean, that's a whole nother thing. We had, you know, wall to wall kids and staff setting goals for themselves and, you know, really being able to celebrate each other and support each other. You know, kids would support each other so that they could meet those goals. And it was just a real vibrant kind of a a live feeling in that school that really set the tone for lifelong learners with respect to our staff and our students.
1: Well, and so tell a little bit about what the day-to-day, what that looked like, because you were talking about some really cool leadership opportunities for students, and there's just so many components. Yeah, you know, from the start, we really were able to cultivate this philosophy of
0: all means all, right? Right. We shouldn't have to, kiddos shouldn't have to look at their day and think, well, if I mess up today that means I'm not going to have the same opportunities as my peers will have. And it was super important for us as a staff to make sure that everybody had an opportunity to show leadership and to showcase their, their gifts and talents, whatever that may be. And so we had student ambassadors that you know had been identified. They had to kind of do a little application and you know, tell us why it is that they would be a great representative of their classroom and their family and their school. They did the announcements for us every morning. They would go on the playground in their little duty vests and they would, you know, look for those, you know, habits being used on the playground and they would then celebrate their peers on the playground if they were able to, you know, kind of mitigate a challenge between two kiddos or, if they saw kids playing together nicely, you know they, they were the ones to go and, and really celebrate those kiddos. So just really allowed for the kids to be a part of that. And the, the culminating part of each year was a leadership day, we called it celebration of the child. We would invite district people, community members, families would come in, our student ambassadors would give them tours of the school, would walk them around, teach them about the seven habits would let them know why being a leader is so important in your life and why setting goals is so important. And it was just a really lovely experience for the kiddos because they ran the show, like the student ambassadors, they planned it. They designed the invitations, you know, it was, I mean, probably one of the sweetest experiences I've ever had. I got to be a part of that.
1: And we're talking elementary kids. Yes. That's so. And we had at that time, close to
0: 1100 kids Kindergarten through fifth grade, you know, large grade level teams. We really made it happen for those families and those kids. And I'm really proud of the work that we did during that time. And it didn't take much time for us to jump into that and really start to see the fruit of that effort in our student outcomes, our, our student achievement. And I I really give a hand to the kids because it's it was their goal setting that pushed them to move the ball forward. And with this understanding that 100% of our kids deserve to grow in their academic world and life.
1: Yes. And you guys included students that had IEPs or had special Mm -hmm. education needs, like it was everybody. It was everybody, wall to wall. Nobody was absolved of having
0: goals. And nobody was relieved of learning, which was, you know, really good. But We had many conversations about kiddos that were high achievers or students who fell in that range of giftedness. You know, I think for a long time, we think, well, they're already testing in the 98th percentile. So they've grown as much as they're going to grow. And we had a lot of conversations around, they have the same, you know, they deserve to have the same opportunity for growth in their academics and personal life. And I think just taking on that philosophy and not relieving anyone in the building Mm -hmm. of working with all students. It was really collective responsibility and the most significant way was amazing.
1: Well, and even when students are book smart or have some giftedness in an area of academics like math or reading doesn't mean that as an individual, they don't need to learn the skills that make them fully successful, right? Because if you don't have those interactive skills where you know how to support others and listen to others and manage conflict and set goals for yourself, If you can't do all those things, it doesn't matter how book smart you are. (laughs) It's true. And it really lends itself to
0: great conversations around perseverance for kids Mm -hmm. and making sure that they knew and understood that they owned some of that, you know, that we were going to celebrate with them, but we weren't going to work harder than them. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like they had to put in some of the work as well. Yes. And uh, so it's amazing when you'll hear a five-year-old coming down the hallway saying, I had a goal to learn how to tie my shoes and I met my goal and today I get to choose a new goal. You know, they were very excited about that. So it, it really, it served a great purpose and the scores, you know within three years were very clearly there and it was a sustainable piece that outlived me which was good once i moved on to a school you never said anything into place for it to only live as long as you're there but it was a really good sustainable process for those kids for some time
1: well and you just said something that i think is really key a lot of listeners may not know this those of us who are in education hopefully most of us know this There's so much evidence and research now telling us when behaviors are high, when, um, you know, social emotional learning isn't identified and supported and modeled, our academic scores go down and a lot of people don't realize that there's a tight correlation with that, and as a special education provider myself. I see that when students can't do things, when they struggle academically, their behaviors go up because they need to take the spotlight off of their gaps and skills. They don't want people to see that they don't know that they can't do it, especially their peers. And so it's more comfortable to make a scene or maybe emotionally, they just feel so overwhelmed. They make a scene or they do things that Because it's based on that gap, and it's kind of a self-perpetuating cycle. So we see not only that kid, but then other students in the class struggling because they're disrupted, and there's so many components to that. But we know for a fact, if we don't have good relationships and social-emotional supports, then we have academic drops in how students are doing. Absolutely.
0: And, and, and really it's kind of a, a a layered multifaceted thing, right? Like when you start to build that emotional IQ and that emotional stability and that emotional, you know, just the depth that, that both students and the adults in the building, right? Right. There's better stamina for that. Absolutely. You know, there is very definitely a correlation and, and the beautiful thing as an administrator for me was being able to mitigate that in a way that was that was an offering for everyone in the building that was, you know, Love that, yeah, it was so good. It allowed us as administrators to really be interacting with our teachers in a way that was a lot more supportive because we weren't having to spend all of our time on behavior. We well. were able to get into the classrooms. We were able to be there to support their work as teams. We were able to just be visible and cover duty for them if they needed, or, you know, it it allowed us as administrators to really move into areas that I know administrators truly struggle with. And all of that is what helps to kind of build and scaffold that learning for everyone and that stamina and endurance for everyone.
1: And you saw a direct correlation with scores and learning and success academically with the program really digging in and creating roots and supporting students. Yes, definitely.
0: And, and you knew that you were onto something when you would have a parent come in and say, so my child's driving me crazy because, you know, they're telling me that I'm not keeping the end in mind. And so my time management isn't as good as it should be, you know, or my kids telling me that, you know, we have to work first before we go play. And so, you know, it was very definitely starting to seep in at the home, which was really good litmus test test for us to know that it was not just a superficial learning and engagement for kids. They truly were taking that internally and applying it and transferring it into their life outside of school. And to us, that was like, okay, we really have gotten something going here that's not extrinsically oriented and only going to happen at school. There's true
1: transfer. Of those well and that generalization is so important, right It is so yes. important because we need students to have skills when they leave the building and when they leave the education system so you were doing something that created that generalization and talking about that you've had programs that didn't do that that you've tried before. Yeah I mean we you know you don't
0: you you know and understand that not every school community is the same. Right. Right. So, what happens at one school that is very successful might not necessarily translate into the same success at another school. And so, I do have experience with PBIS, and it does work for a time. You know, I wouldn't say that it never works, but I think the stick to itiveness and the the understanding that is internalized for kiddos wasn't the same. So while you might've seen a little bit of a drop in some kids for a time, you know, my experience was that was that it was enough to keep a kid buoyant, some kids buoyant for some time, but not longevity. And for some kids, it doesn't work at all because extrinsic, you know, reward is not necessarily what they're seeking.
1: Right. Right.
0: And so I do have experience with that. And, um, I have had some experience with AIM, which is another SEL curriculum that can be used wall-to-wall school-wide. It could be utilized more as kind of a layer three or a tier three intervention, behavior intervention for kiddos. But again, it's very much driven by what's happening in the classroom and there's not a lot of transfer in those skills once kiddos get out of the classroom or out of the school building.
1: And I think, you know, it's not at all that we're trying to say something negative about one program over another, because like you said, every school, every culture, every student is different. But I think as we're moving into the time period that we're in, it's really important to identify those programs that have really broad success and really encompass the most amount of people And when you're talking about the Leader in Me program, what was so cool about that in our conversations that made me say, oh, you have to come talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) It really was wall to wall, every age, every staff member, every student. And I love that. And it was teaching those skills that were long term. And there's some really cool social emotional curriculums coming up. We just did our, in our previous episode, we did an interview with the founder and CEO of a SEL program called Breathe for Change, and it's based on yoga. And it was really a cool concept oh. and it's very similar in Leader leader and Me because it was really building the skills between the teachers and the students. And my co-host, who's not here today, she's in Ireland, that turkey. What? Uh, <laughs> He's traveling wow. and I'm working. Look at that. <laughs> um, and for her, I'm just jealous. But she did an interview with a school in her area that's a charter school and smaller. And they were talking a lot about how important relationship is and how they've really focused on that. And so there's a lot of key components to all of those methods of approaching yes. this in that we're focusing on relationship and really supporting teachers in knowing how to support students. I think we assume because they've gone into education, they just know that, but there's not really a class on that. No, teachers are not taught that. And when you get into the midst of these actual tiny humans
0: or big humans, depending on what level you're at, it's a very different thing. You know, our profession is very personal. We're working with humans. We're not working, you know, on computers all day or robots, they're actual humans. And so you do have to be able to have that ebb and flow with them and that fluidity with them. And and there is something to PBIS, AIM, you know, some of the others in that, you know, at least kiddos know that all of the adults in the building are going to be speaking the same language and are going to be looking out for them. That's an important thing, I think, to say. But, you know, thinking about even the program that you just talked about with yoga, that method, there's still something intrinsic about that, Yes, right? Because kiddos are really learning about what's in their locus of control and their physical body and their environment. And so it's still very intrinsic for them and would easily be transferred outside of school outside of those hours mm-hmm. into their own time and into their world as they grow and so yeah. i think there's a key in there right to to grab onto
1: and i think as much as educators throughout our nation have spent so many years really considering what's the best curriculum for reading what's the best curriculum for science what's the best and that changes and sometimes it changes year to year because you get into something and you find out it's not working and you got to shift And that is constantly something as educators we're looking at. How do we give the best curriculum with the best outcome? And now we have to really turn our view to social, emotional, and behavioral issues. How do we find curriculum that is meaningful and, like you said, outlives the people in the building and creates something that's sustainable? And I think the Leader in Me program, as we were talking about that, really demonstrated that well. Yeah. I agree. And you know, here's
0: the thing. The joy for me is that here I am now. It's been, I don't know, almost 10 years since I've been at that school. I have parents that I interact with on Facebook or that I at least are able to see and former kiddos that I've had that are now in their mid to late 30s that are moving into their lives and and whatnot. And I see what they're doing. I see posts that they have and those things that they learned have been with them through this time. Okay. And it's such a sweet thing to be able to see yes. on the other side of it. Right. And know that may have been a small portion of their, of their journey, but
1: you got to be a part of that pretty special. I think that's why we go into education, right? Cause it's just yes, that, that intrinsic reward of helping another person and see that person succeed and overcome is just so fulfilling.
0: Yes. Very true. And the same for staff. You know, I still have staff that reach out to me often and have very fond memories to share about that experience and how those pieces have continued to be a part of their practice. And um, I mean, I used to say to them all the time, you know, we could write a book about this and it would be a book that would probably, you know, fly off the shelves because even though we know there's no one silver bullet, we were able to create something that really could have been replicated with the with the flavor of whoever picked it up in their community right
1: right and one thing you said that i just want to reiterate was that this is a school that wasn't necessarily you know the rich white kids that's right and it was like a mix of people it was a mix of you know economic status and culture and all of those pieces it was a good sampling of a school and you got such good success from it. That's just awesome. Yeah. Really, really good. Really, really good stuff. And I think yeah. as we highlight that these behavioral and social emotional issues are on the rise and that they're pretty, it's a pretty heavy thing as we identify ways to support teachers in getting those skills, as we identify programs that are really supporting educators in general, but also students, we help to understand that there's a way to work through this and get better because we can Definitely. do Definitely, we, we can do better.
0: And really it's a bucket filler for you as an adult, right? I, my, my poor staff heard me say all the time and I still say it to people often, if not this, then what, right? We have right. this challenge. So it's fine if you don't wanna use Leader and Me or it's fine if you don't wanna use PBIS, but if not that, then what? Right. right, we have to do something that is threaded into the culture of our school and fostered by the school as a whole, collectively responsible for all kiddos. So, if not this, then what? And yeah. with that, what is that also then going to help you to find joy in your job, to cultivate in you, you know, a, a feeling of being in a healthy environment? So yes. important.
1: Yes. And I think that's one of the things we've been highlighting this whole season is that teachers need to feel supported, not just by administrators in their building, but by the community, by the parents. I think as a culture in the United States, we've really moved to this place of we want to be entertained and we, we will pay for that, but one of the most important jobs in the world, raising young people to be good people and good leaders, we're like, how, how little can we pay them to do this? And we need to shift that. Right. And teachers need to know from parents that they're appreciated. You know, right. we can't expect more from teachers if we're not intrinsically motivating them to do what they do, it's right? True. If we're not respecting them, if we're not building them up, we can't ask them to work harder and to invest more. And a lot of teachers are feeling um, out of their element and a little burnt out post-COVID, like because it really did amplify where the gaps were for them, that they didn't have some of those skills, even though we expected them to sort of be the first responders for students and their families. So we need to circle back around and make sure those educators feel supported and respected. And then we need to make sure our students feel that as well. And there are so many students who school is the place that they get good food. School is the place that they have real clear understanding of what's expected and boundaries and then very clear consequences and those are things that we all crave because we want to know we're safe and we're stable and we can give that to students in school but we have to have the program and the fluidity of everybody working together and that is a cultural burden we all must bear whether you have a student or not we all need to come together as American citizens. And create an educational system that is good so that we can move forward as a nation. And that's part of what we want people to hear. You know, let's have conversations. That's right.
0: And they're hard and it's messy. And you have to embrace the ambiguity when you're going, when you're on that journey, like there has to be an agreement. We're on a journey. We're working toward betterment for all of us. And I think that's where the heavy lift is but that's also where you build that social emotional stamina and IQ for everyone involved, including the adults in the building.
1: Yeah. Including all the adults in the building. I think that's so cool that you included the staff that worked in the cafeteria. You included, you know, the crossing guards and you included the janitors, like the secretaries. We all have impact Mm -hmm. on those kids. I can look back of like a janitor when I was in elementary school that would always joke around with the students and And like when kids would get really upset, he would, he was just very kind and would, are you okay? What do you need? You know? And I just think we, we miss that every adult in that building has a role. It's true. Yeah, it's true. And you, and they're,
0: uh, they're humans also. And when you don't include them and I feel sometimes, um, sometimes sad because, yeah, you know, having having made sure, um, and I had to fight some battles, right, to make sure that they could be involved because it was three full days of training for them. But at the end of the day, when you're getting texts from people even years later saying thank you for that experience, that makes me sad because that should be the norm. And there's nothing more emotional to me than seeing, you know, one of one of our gals that is providing lunch to a student really talk them through making sure that they're thinking ahead of time, keeping that end in mind. And they know maybe what they want to have for lunch, or they might even ask about it so that they know what they want for lunch. Like just interacting with kids in that way, not out of frustration that the child didn't know what they wanted right then. You know what I mean? Like there was a conversation there or seeing my lead custodian, you know, that had, you know, great connections with a couple of kids that we knew had really hard behaviors and one of them was a runner and he would just go out on his little four runner and you know meet that child right where they were and get <laughs> off and hang out in the playground with them for a few minutes and have a little dialogue and then walk them back to the building I mean it was just so good like everybody
1: knew and understood that we were all there together i think that is our that should be our vision as a nation of an educational utopia is that yes. <laughs> we're able to do those things and and helping listeners find good options for social emotional learning are just places to go looking like you said if not this what go look go find something um really take a take a chance and put something in your school or in your district and give the opportunity to see how wonderful the impact can be absolutely those were some great
2: resources
1: they really were and it was wonderful to talk with kathy because she has that real world experience of trying several of these different behavior or social emotional learning curriculums. And there are hundreds out there. Who has the time to go through them all and figure out which ones work and which ones don't. So it's so important that we talk to other educators who've had experience with the different programs and find the one that fits right in your school's culture to make it really impactful. Because at the end of the day, what we want is to do something that builds our students up. We don't want to waste our time trial and erroring everything.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think those will be really helpful for our listeners. So we
1: want to make sure people know that we are on social media. You can find us at Instagram and Facebook at EducationRx. Look us up. We would love for you to follow us. We are sharing video um, previews every week to let you see kind of what's coming up for the episode before it releases on a Wednesday. You can also leave us comments. We would love to hear your personal story or if you have feedback for us or questions for us from an episode, we'd love to hear that.
2: Yeah, so get on and share your comments, ask some questions. Please be nice to us.
1: (laughs) Please be nice. Our website, along with a page for our podcast that has a blog attached to it where you can leave us comments, is on its way. We will have it very soon. And next week... In episode four, we're gonna shift gears a little bit. Uh, Moving from K-12 education, we're gonna look at college and universities, uh, talking with a college student who's gonna just give us a perspective from his angle of how isolating and frustrating it was being in COVID and social emotional impacts for him. And then we're also gonna talk with a very dear friend of mine who is someone I've known for many years, an amazing, phenomenal educator, at the college and university level, as well as an administrator at a university level. She is up at Highlands University in New Mexico and is one of the most phenomenal teachers I've ever met. As a professor, she's just blows me away. So I'm super excited about that interview.
2: That's gonna be a great interview.
1: She's gonna share from her perspective as a professor, what she saw in students during the time they were virtual and quarantined. And then in the years following, when she was working with students virtually, ways that she found to successfully engage students and keep their attention. She's also going to share an amazing program that she sort of created that helps teachers really focus on how to engage students. So not just virtually, but also in person. It's going to be a really powerful interview. Yeah. So we need to be educated. So we can change the world. We We can can do do better. better. Get back here next week, people. Bye.